I realized um, that I breathe really heavily into the mic. So when we do silence, I have to pull away because I'm like, <laughs> I was literally practically holding my breath that whole time because I'm afraid that you can hear me breathe. Oh, it's no. fine. I'm fine. I didn't pass out. That's all that matters. <laughs> Are we starting the episode now? Because, oh, my God, I can't breathe. <laughs> Welcome to episode two. I'm Frankie. And I'm Daniel. And this is Propagated Podcast. Boop, 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 boop. Theme song. Boop, boop. Nice. Thank you for picking up on my cue. So excited. <laughs> episode two. The fact that we even finished the whole first episode is monumental for me because I usually don't follow through on things I'm supposed to do. So congratulations to me and you. <laughs> Good thing you have me to force you. <laughs> I'm like texting you every day. Are we recording? Are we recording? Oh my God, I have so many fun facts to tell you and no one's interested in them. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's going to be fun. I'm super excited about this episode too because like we're following in trend with the first episode and I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about a new thing Ooh. that affects our forests. Yeah. I don't know why I chose the Northeast, though, because, like, everything I'm talking about is practically just the Northeast. Yeah, mine is, too, I realized. And I think it's, like, a lot because we live, right. like, kind of in this sort of area. We live in, like, the north-south-east. North, like, east. hear a little bit more about <laughs> it just naturally. Yeah, and for me too, it's like the I'm going to talk about the hemlock today and I have I'm a forager. I love going out and foraging and literally every single tree has this blight on it. You, you can see it every single time you go out. So uh, I almost you know. use the name, but I don't want to spoil it cuz I know a little bit about what you're talking about today, okay. which is fun. Well, shoot. What if I get something wrong now? Now this is stressful. <laughs> And I will correct you with okay, very fair. fallible knowledge based on my <laughs> limited knowledge that I got about this particular disease back in middle school when I did Envirothon. Oh, sick. So, like, I feel like I'm like, plants are cool. And you're like, okay, actually, let me tell you, though, about that thing. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, I that sounds like something I would do, but I don't have enough information to do that this time. So we should be good. Let's get scienceful, scienceful. No, that's not a word. Okay, anyways. Yeah, no, I hated that. I hated that. I hated that for both of us. Okay, we can edit it out. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I guess we're going to keep with the standard. Uh, On the first episode, we did a nice little rock, paper, scissors to decide who was going to lead with the information. And this time I'll actually put my hand in front of the camera. Yeah, last time I think she cheated because she didn't want to go first, but it's fine. It's totally fine. It's fine. fine. Okay, you know what? It was scissors. (laughs) No one was here to back me up, but it's fine. (laughs) Okay, anyways, ready? uh, Rock, paper, scissors for it. Rock, Rock, paper, scissors, scissors. shoot. shoot. Okay, you know what? You're going slower than me. I think you're cheating. I don't think that works that way. All right, let's do it fast then. Let's just like... Okay, okay, okay. Let's like a one, two, Rock, three, paper. shoot. Oh, wait, are we actually doing it? Oh, shit. Okay, one oh, more time. Oh, wait, one more time. One more time, one more time. One, two, Rock, three, paper, shoot. Shoot. Ah. All right, right. looks like it I'm was scissors. starting. So wait, does the winner have to go first or do they get to go second? What I is think you get to pick. I think the winner should pick which one they want to go. All right, well, I will... Did you... You went last first. On the first episode. I went last first. I mean, you went first on the last episode, That is very confusing, sir. (laughs) Yes, I did go first. All right, so I'll go first this time and be fair about it, since we never actually made rules about it. Um, I'm sorry, was that salt in your speech? Uh, Is there ever salt not in my speech? Okay, fair. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so today, and I am going to give a little bit of a content warning ahead of me talking about all of this because I do know that a word that I'm going to be using has been used uh, stereotypically in the past as a very racist way to speak about a particular portion of a a people. Um, And that word is gypsy. And I want you to know full and wholeheartedly that when I say the word gypsy throughout this, it is simply because that is the etymological name of the bug that I'm speaking about. And I tried very hard 
to uh, research the etymology of that name and couldn't really come up with anything about how they named it or why they named it. I am simply using the word gypsy because that is how this insect is known across the world. Mm. As I said, before I start, I just want to make sure that is a very clear and known thing. Yeah, and we try very hard to be sensitive to these things. And if someone says, hey, don't use this word, that's a slur, we we won't. But there's literally no other name for it. And, like, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, no, it is really fucked up. And me and Frankie even spent time before we started this podcast talking about uh, whether I, whether we should use the word at all or not. And But anyways... Content warning aside. Right. Yeah, tell me about delve. the G-Moth. Let, let, oh, I could do that. I could do that. I could just save okay. the G-Moth. All right, so let's talk about the Gypsy Moth. And because Frankie is so beautiful and perfect and intelligent, I'm going to refer to it as the G-Moth for the remainder of this podcast. Um, this is why you're my best friend. You just are so kind to me. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. I'm not kind yeah, whatever. We'll, go well no, that. it's extra kind because you're not kind to anybody else. So, <laughs> Damn, she just read me the filth. Such a sad thing. Love it, though. Love it, love it, love it. Hey, you do this, you do this <laughs> service for me all of the time. <laughs> Daniel is the person that's like, hey, I need to take you down a notch because your head is getting too big. <laughs> I mean, I have been known to kill some egos from time to time. I love it. Maybe it's not needed, the best thing. I feel like. but... No, I think it's great. Some, You know, sometimes you need it. All right. The G-Moth is really wild, man. Like, don't even know how to begin with this guy because they're they're pretty crazy. I so feel like I've seen them before. Like, once um, I saw a picture, I was like, this seems really common. Is it common? It's definitely not impossible that you would have seen the G-Moth in North Carolina, but it's not super prominent in North Carolina yet. There aren't any established colonies here. And honestly, if you truly feel as if you have seen a G-Moth, you should probably contact the USDA because they have several measures Mm -hmm. in place trying to prevent the spread of them. So if you truly believe that you saw a G-Moth, you should definitely talk to the USDA and they have some very uh, awesome ways of preventing the spread because we don't want we don't want them to take over North Carolina. Yeah, no way. What do they look like? Uh, they are very, um, they're kind of generic looking. Honestly, they're kind of mostly a mottled and banded gray and white moth. So it's not going to look too dissimilar to most moths that you see. Unfortunately, the G moth does feed on hundreds of North American species of tree. Ooh. And they are known most prominently for kind of eradicating entire oak stands of trees because <sighs> they really apparently love the taste of oaks. Oh, those are my favorites. Um, I'm going to go beat up yeah. these moths. Oak trees are beautiful. Love oak trees. Um, scientifically, they are named Lymantria dispar, and there are a few different kinds. Um, in my research, I found three very distinct species of the G-moth, and they are known as Lamantria dispar asiatica, Lamantria dispar japonica, and Lamantria dispar linnaeus. Mm. The latter of those three, the Lamantria, or Lamantira dispar linnaeus, is the one that we are seeing grow their number of colonies in the, mostly the eastern United States as of right now. These moths, and I'm going to nerd out for a second because I have to yes, have at please. least a little bit of a nerd out. I love the nerd out. Boop, 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 boop. We need like a little sound effect. <laughs> but they come from a group of moths known as Lepidopteron. I think I heard about that in Animal Crossing at some point. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> like that could be a thing. I haven't played it yet because... Apparently, switches are sold out, and I can't find one. But whatever. Not going to get mad about that. Uh, <laughs> but le- Lepidopteron comes from the Greek lepis, which uh, translates to scale, and pteron, which is wing. So technically, that whole order of animals uh, it are called scale wings, and it includes a lot of butterflies and moths, which I just think is a little bit of etymology that i think is fun and cool, cool to talk it about historic almost 
they call me Scale Wing. <laughs> I'm a Marvel superhero. Oh my god, that would be the most fun. Yeah, definitely our kind of superhero. What is it, Adventure Bros? I don't know. Where what you're they do? About. Where they have the? Anyways, it's a like Cartoon Network tsunami kind of thing where they have Adventure oh. Brothers and they uh the big bad in the whole show is the monarch king <gasps> Ooh. and he's like is a butterfly thing it does oh, i mean it's a, it's a fun little show that you should check out sometime not that that's important right now uh hashtag but, sponsor us <laughs> exactly i would love that <laughs> uh gmods were imported into the united states in 1869 so long long ago if you want to talk about it in those terms and they were imported for scientific and commercial purposes. The specific person responsible hmm. for the spread of G-Moths in the United States is Etienne Trevolo. Mm, let's go beat him up, guys. Y'all can talk at me all day about how I just butchered that French real bad. <laughs> but that's the best I can do, and I am sorry. We're trying. We're American. We're only taught one language. <laughs> <laughs> Facts, though. Sad day. Um... But Trevolo was a French scientist living in Medford, Massachusetts. He had a lot of different things that he was known for. He was known as a French artist. He was an astronomer. And he was an amateur entomologist. He actually fled to the United States when Napoleon, crazily enough, Napoleon staged his coup in 1851. Mm. And when that happened, Trevolo moved to the states because he didn't want to be any part of napoleon's craziness hmm. trevolo after fleeing napoleon's coup in 1851 decided to move to the united states his whole bit was sericulture and sericulture is when people take silk spinning insects Mm. and try and use those to manufacture silk. Oh. So that's that's what sericulture is. He was raising silkworms and found a type of bug in the U.S. that he thought would work well for it, but didn't, and then decided that instead of doing that, he was going to try for the G-moth. And the G-moth was mostly uh, Japanese, is where they were located. When they decide to molt and like build their cocoon, mm -hmm. they produce silk. So he thought that that could be a way to um, bring or a way to increase his productivity here in the U.S. because they lived in a climate similar to where he was living. Gotcha. So he thought that bringing them over would uh, allow him to have a silk spinning caterpillar to work here. And, um, spoiler alert, it was a bad idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, super bad idea. Um, but he imported the species. Oh, dear. Because he thought he was going to breed them with the silk spinning caterpillars that were here so he could oh. create a more resistant hybrid. I will make my own breed and it will be productive. Yeah, for real, though. It's crazy. He, like, oh, went dear. on this whole, like, thing and then decided that if he bred these two together with, like, stuff that was able to live in Massachusetts and something in a similar climate from Japan, if he bred them together, they would not only produce more silk, but they would be naturally less susceptible to diseases that existed here. Mm -hmm. So he did this whole thing. And then, essentially, he was kind of using his backyard as an area to gulp to cultivate it's so scientific this, nothing can go wrong right? i mean i did mention that he was an amateur entomologist <laughs> i just need to i need to restate that he was an amateur entomologist this was this guy's backyard must have been absolutely destroyed well see that's the whole bit we'll talk about this a little bit later they don't move very fast and like it takes a while for colonies to establish really well but we'll mm -hmm. talk about that all a little bit later and all of this but his goal essentially as is true with many of us, was to make as much money as he could off of his practice that he was working. Mm. And so he thought that bringing these guys in and breeding them with the uh, caterpillars here that already produce silk would make them more resistant and be a good thing. Turns out it wasn't. He uh, was breeding these guys in his backyard, thought he had them well contained. But he was an amateur. <laughs> Oops. All of a sudden, they're not contained anymore. Now, Yikes. there are there are two different 
two different thought processes on this next part. One is that Etienne Trivelot himself asked for help exterminating the species, but the infestation was already established by 1886, which is not that long before he brought them over. But there are also other reports that say he leaked that he had tried to ask for help exterminating them, but he actually hadn't, and he was part of the problem and was just trying to save face. Who actually knows? But curiously enough, following the incident of these guys getting out of his backyard, Truvilla mysteriously lost interest in entomology and went back to astronomy. (laughs) <laughs> and moved out of the country. Oh, so I wonder knows? why. Good sir. Who knows? Good sir. <laughs> maybe he was a good person and actually tried to eradicate this, or maybe he just disappeared after he caused Oops. a big problem. I'm going back to space because space can't destroy the things around me. <laughs> but anyways, all of this happens. You got these G mods like floating around, and realistically, it's a very slow build for G mods. They don't. Uh, grow their area very quickly because the females of the species are actually flightless. Oh. So they can't move very far. And while the males can fly, obviously, the eggs that are produced are being placed where the females are mm. and they're flightless. So they they can't move more than 5 to 10 miles in a year, which is still a lot, but like realistically, that's a pretty slow growth for something of this nature. Yeah. But since 1980 which I know is like a huge time jump, but that's like when people actually started taking this kind of seriously and mm-hmm. looking at the damage that the G-Moth has been doing. Mm-hmm. Since 1980, the G-Moth has deforested over 1 million acres annually. Damn. So that's 40 years. That's 40 million acres. Eek. And as, as a short little like side note, a little fun bit. No, I don't guess it's really fun. It's actually to me kind of intensely creepy but during significant outbreaks like when they have huge colonies and the caterpillars are mostly nocturnal to try and keep birds and stuff from eating them so they come out at night and they come from like the bottom of the forest floor and come up to the canopies to eat the leaves off of these trees Mm -hmm. but apparently their eating sounds like moderate rainfall (gasps) oh Gross. Can you imagine going outside, no rain happening at all, like oh cloudless, beautiful, starry night, but you can still hear the sound of rain Listen, from it, all of these caterpillars consuming. If you have a pet peeve of people chewing, do not highly do not recommend hanging out at these don't forests more, at night. <laughs> yeah, don't don't move northeast when there's or in the early spring when these guys decide Yuck. to eat everything. Okay, now I kind of want to hear it, though. Do you want to go on a road trip when everything opens back up? Maybe next yeah, year? absolutely. Let's do I want to know what that's yes, like. Yes, let's go I camping. I've never gotten to experience it. <laughs> Crazy. Love it. And, and according to a 2011 report, the G-Moth is one of the most destructive insects in the United States as of right now, mm-hmm. causing an estimated $868 million in damages annually. What the fuck? That's a lot of money. Annually to the forests. And, of course, this boils down to a lot of different aspects, you know, like, it's about property value. So, like, if you own your home and you're trying to sell it and you have a bunch of G-Moths in the backyard sounding like disgusting terror beasts (laughs) chewing in the middle of the night, like... Nobody's gonna want to buy that home the sound if they know of that's happening. Quiet rainfall. It's so nice. It's like one of those sound machines, but just don't think about where it's coming from. Yeah, just don't think about the fact that there are literal millions it's of tiny caterpillars. Gross caterpillar mouths smacking on some leaves. <laughs> right, so bad. But um, oh, I hate it. I hate but, it so much. But they do cause they cause a lot of damage every year. It's like the whole bit. You know, like I mentioned it earlier, they prefer oak trees, but they actually feed, especially if they're in like a less preferable area where there's not a lot of oak trees, they feed on a lot of stuff. Oaks, aspen, apple, sweet gum, speckled adler, basswood, gray, poplar, willow, and hawthorn. Dang, that's Those a lot are of like, trees. That's what I want, <laughs> but that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of species, and especially in the Northeast, that covers a pretty large number of your established forest trees yeah which is unfor- which is unfortunate 
And they avoid a lot, too, but it's a lot of things that are, like, kind of what you would expect. So you have, like, the ash trees, which not a lot of bugs kind of care about anyways. You have tulip trees, cucumber trees, sycamores, butternut, walnuts, which I really want to do an episode on walnuts eventually because they're kind of crazy because nothing <laughs> likes walnuts. Nothing grows around them. Nothing likes walnuts will be the title of that episode. <laughs> we'll do a tree nut episode. That sounds fun. They also don't like dogwoods or firs or cedars. Cedar has been a long known type of wood that uh, insects have never enjoyed, which is kind of cool. They don't like hollies or laurels or rhododendrons, which are all super pretty. So that's great. But also, just because they don't like those things doesn't mean that they won't eat them and kill them when the densities of the colonies are extremely high. Listen, when you have nighttime munchies, there is, like, nothing you won't eat. (laughs) Right, like, I've literally made cheese, weird, like, shredded cheese sandwiches that (laughs) I've not heated up or anything late night with munchies. So I feel that. But it's terrible when it comes to the Gmod. I don't know if I've actually mentioned this yet, but an important thing to know is that all of this happens when the Gmod itself is in its larval stages, like when when they're caterpillars. It's mm-hmm. not it's not when they're the actual moth. When they when they hit the moth stage, they're literally just trying to fuck. <laughs> uh, but also another random fun fact about uh, the caterpillar of the Gmod is that. Unfortunately, they have been reported to produce a poison ivy-like rash what? when you come in contact with them in their larval stage. So can you imagine walking through a high-density population Ew. in a forest oh. and just being covered? You just hear... And then you get oh, rashes God. all over your body. No, thank you. Okay, maybe we're canceling our camping trip. We might have to cancel <laughs> our camping trip. <laughs> or at least we're like waiters oh, or so something. so bad. But essentially what happens with all of this is that it's not like they're attacking the inside of the tree. They're literally just eating the leaves of the tree. But when you get a high-density population of the G-moth caterpillars, they will defoliate entire trees mm. where they have not, like no leaves left to support them at all. And while very like while healthy groves of like hardwood trees can survive a full defoliation or even a half defoliation when they when that happens any other level of stress can cause that tree to die so while Mm -hmm. or while g moths might not be the cause of the actual death of the tree in some situations they led to the tree dying by making it because vulnerable. they mm. yeah they're they're literally opening up the tree to a number of other stressors and uh diseases by weakening the state of a tree in its happy growth season gotcha. you know yeah and so like we're trying to control this and there are a lot of ways that we can control this we're actually doing not too bad right now like Sweet. obviously there were a lot of years that that passed that we weren't doing the most and a lot of forests have had to deal with the loss of a lot of trees obviously like i said annually they take a million acres annually but we're stopping the spread that's awesome and that's literally the name of the uh government ideal behind it now it's called sts or stop the spread and it relates specifically to gmods oh cool so they're working really hard on on not allowing this to become a thing natural predators play a pretty large role because they are moths so there's obviously predators out there already even though it's not a native moth to here there are a lot of natural predators already Mm. that have helped reduce the impact of the G-Moth, but one of the coolest things that they do, or I think it's the coolest, it's not necessarily the most effective, but I think it's kind of the coolest. If you know anything about moths, you know that a lot of their mating has to do with pheromones. Oh. And that's how they find each other, which I think is really cool. That's awesome. Um, Same though. But the US and Canada have uh, been working on, or not been working on, but have cre- already created pheromone traps oh cool. so essentially they recreated the pheromone that the female g-moth emits 
when it's trying to have sex with the male Gmon. Oh. And they they recreated that. They put these traps out in high-density populations of the Gmoth. 70% of the male population get attracted to the stronger pheromone in the traps than by the natural pheromone released by the female Gmoth. So that's kind of cool. And that's one of the cool. like biggest stop the spread movements is putting out these pheromone traps, huh. which is really cool. I think that's cool too. That's awesome. And like I said in the first episode, uh, we briefly talked about viral strains being introduced to uh, eliminate a fungal infection. Uh-huh. Similar here. Obviously, it's not fungal. It's an insect. But they do already have a virus called MPV and... This is the only time in this whole podcast I'm not going to say Gmoth. The virus they're trying to produce to control the spread is called Gypcheck. That sounds so t- that sounds that even that worse. Oh my god, sounds the terrible, but, but that that is what they call it. Dude, can we talk about for a second though how fucked up it is that like this is what they named it? Like this creature just Dude, and no, we can absolutely <laughs> talk about it cuz I'm still really frustrated that through all my research, literally spent hours researching the G-Moth, I was incapable of finding any etymological reason. It's really frustrating, and I tried very hard to find any kind of legitimacy behind it or any kind of, like, anything that, like, separated it from a racial slur, and I couldn't find anything. So, again, that's why I've been referring to yeah. it as G-Moth this whole time, because it probably does have its roots in racial hatred, and that's terrible. And, obviously, like, the G-Moth has existed with its current name since the 1800s. So, like I said, I couldn't really find any information about where it got its name or who started that, and I tried, trust me when I say I tried really hard. Mm, I believe you. But yeah, unfortunately, that's just... That's the name that it was given, and it has stuck. Oh, yeah. um, even in Japan, which is like, we'll talk about Japan in just a second, and the Asiatic uh, G-Moth as well. But anyways, talking about the viral strain again. Oh, I was going to give you the name, which I just refound, and again, forgive me, <laughs> because I will probably pronounce this poorly. I believe in you. Because it is a lot, but it's nucleopolyhedrovirus. Ooh, sounds mathematical. Known as MPV, and that is how I'll refer to it the rest <laughs> of the time, because I'm not going to try that again. Um, I feel like I did good enough on the first yes, try. I'm proud of you. Uh, but they are, they are working, scientists are working hard to, uh, again, similarly to the chestnut blight, they're trying very hard to create a virus that specifically targets G-Monts and it has already been known in their trial area areas to uh, kill them in their larval stage. Mm-hmm. And it has been pretty monumental in collapsing high-density mm. populations. Science. And then another thing we have, which is kind of just resurfacing. It's like kind of a new thing. It's kind of really cool. Uh, since the 80s, and again, I'm going to try a scientific name and I apologize... Entomophagia mm. and Entomophagia Maymega. That's my drag name. Did you know that? I love that for you. <laughs> I really want that to be like, I want your name to be Entomophagia. You can call hot. me Enter My Phasia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. So good. But Entomophagia Maymega is a type of fungus. And obviously last episode we were talking about how terrible fungus was for the chestnuts, but it can be really beneficial in a lot of ways, in a whole lot of ways, honestly. But specifically with the G-Moth, they introduced it in the 80s in the U.S., this type of fungus. And um, the fungus attacks the moth in its larval stages, and it literally, which is kind of macabre, but it literally leaves corpses behind. Like while, Like when they create their, I guess, cocoon to pupate into a into a moth. It kind of leaves them stuck in that. Oh. So they, like, spin the silk, like, go down, get stuck in their little cocoon. So they're, like, mummified. And that's when the, yeah, that's when the, that's when the fungus attacks them. And the fungus grows from inside, comes out, and then ejects aerial spores, which spread to other larvae. Oh, gross. So, kind of, I mean, gross, 
obviously as fuck, but also kind of really cool. Yeah. And it's super natural because a lot of the methods that they're using to control uh, Gmoth spread is pretty unnatural and kind of not super healthy for the environment, which sucks. Um, The unfortunate thing about this fungus, the entomophagia, and I got to say it differently, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) Um, is that it only has about a 33% effective rate, and it takes years to establish itself in the soil, and it only pops out when the Gmods are kind of having a whole thing Uh. going on. So it's, like, not super great, but it does also exist for 11 to 12 years in an inactive state, which has helped prevent the reestablishment of colonies of Gmods, which is cool. So, like, if you live in an area where Gmods have been a super crazy thing, using this fungus could be a way to prevent them from coming back when your trees reestablish, which is good. Cool. But also, unfortunately, there's a lot of chemical action going on because they really don't want the gmods to expand any further than they have not super into that personally yeah no same but i'm not gonna get super deep into all of those there are a bunch though and i feel like in a lot of situations they're trying to use the pheromone traps as best they can and if the pheromone traps don't work then they're trying to use chemicals hopefully people will report gmods early when they first see them please look up what they look like Especially if you live in the southeast, if you see a moth that you think looks like that, call your local extension agency from the USDA because every county has one. Love that. And please report it to them and they can stop the spread before it gets bad because nobody wants this to be a thing. Yeah, we'll post pictures on the Instagram so you can see it there, too, at Propagated Podcast. Man, I feel like I got a little bit too nerdy on this because I have like a bunch of like another really great thing that they're doing is mating disruption. So essentially they're like going in, this sounds kind of terrible. There's like a whole cycle, there's a whole life cycle there and they know when the mating season is supposed to happen and they're like going in, essentially spraying during the mating season, which kills all the females because they're immobile, they don't fly. And then the males like end up coming and finding a dead female. So like, that's like mating disruption. It's kind of... kind of really sad i know you're a pest but i feel for you right but just so you guys know if you see if you think that you might be experiencing like a gmoth situation gmoth caterpillars are super distinct so they're very easy to tell that you're looking at the caterpillar itself and the way that they are distinct is in that they have five pairs of blue dots beginning at their head and then that's followed by six pairs of red spots ending at their butt. So they're like super noticeable, super easy to like differentiate from other caterpillars in your area. The damage that they can cause is immense and we are obviously want to slow the spread as much as we can. But another just real random fact before I end, which I've also been talking for a very long time and I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, No, I love it. Just to get a sense of how urgent it is to slow the spread of the gmoth once tree tree stands have been fed on for several years it can take as many as 12 years for even partial recovery that's why it's so important to try and slow the spread of the gmoth yeah that's that's my super 50 minute long nerdy talk about (laughs) gypsy moths no that was great it was good to know Um, especially since it's so active too, like if people can actually actively prevent this at this point. So if you're listening, you're in the Northeast, once again, check it out. Check out our Instagram, Popicated Podcast. If you're in the Northeast or Washington State, because that just happened. Oh dear. There's there's now an established colony in Washington State. Well, here we go. (laughs) I love moths, but oh God, I can't get like the imagined sound of them chewing the forest out of my head. Oh my god, is it not the most <laughs> disgusting thing you've ever thought about, though? Just a... Oh, we're going to lose so many followers just from that. Sound <laughs> Thank so you for bad. choosing the most disgusting so topic bad. for your second topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We were supposed to talk about pests. Oh, I picked the pest. It was a why did we start one. with such Dang. horrible things? I don't know. Because that's the kind of people we are. We're like, all right, we're going to start out on the most depressing note. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I think it's not like totally depressing though, because a lot of these, it's like there is work being done. There are so many foundations that are doing work. Yeah, everything we've talked about, like, well, your original yeah. one has no, practically been is fine. taken care of at this point. And then my original one is being worked on very aggressively. The, the, the chestnut blight is being worked on very hard to try and reestablish groves, which is great. And Gmods are also, like, it's a thing. And they're going to be around probably forever. There's really no way to eradicate them completely. But we can prevent them from spreading into the entire country, which is great. It's a thing that we know, anything that we're doing, anything that is very active. Yeah. Let's talk about my friend, the hemlock tree. <laughs> they are so beautiful. I remember when I moved here and I took a foraging class. It was really cool. It was an urban foraging class. And it was all like this lady walked us around in people's front yards, which they were probably like, what the fuck is this group of 30 people like staring at my trees doing <laughs> in hindsight? But it was really fun in the middle of it. And I remember looking at one of the hemlock trees and seeing all these fuzzy white bits on it and her being like, so this is the hemlock woolly adelgid. It is evil. And I you know, researched it more this week, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Oh my god, the woolly adelgid. This is something I've known about. I'm going to get personal with you Yeah, because you're from here. Talk about, talk about my early years. I have, since middle school all the way through high school, been part of a competition called Envirothon, which is super fun. Always really enjoyed it, but the woolly adelgid was something that we focused on, as yeah. was the gene moth. That was also a very heavy portion of what we talked about during all of it. This episode is personal for you. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about my past, and I never do that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the woolly adelgid is a huge, it's a, it's a yeah. huge problem. And it's, like, countrywide. Mm -hmm. Anywhere hemlocks grow, the, the woolly adelgid has kind of moved in, and it's, it's yeah. definitely problematic. No, no, it's true. It's just what I'm going to, I'm about to talk about, because it's, it's bad. It's really bad. So again, sorry to um, bring y'all down, but here we go. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> um, so the hemlock, we'll talk about the tree first, because it's beautiful, and it is commonly called the redwood of the east. I know that we talked a little bit about American chestnuts and the them kind of being the redwoods of the east, but hemlocks are actually taller and wider than the American chestnut. Or they can get, not naturally, but... Well, damn. <laughs> yeah. I just learned something new and I love that. Let me just throw some facts at you. That. Hold on, let me look at my notes, because I feel like I wrote somewhere how big they are. Some are 150 feet tall and 6 feet in diameter. <laughs> you beat me by 30 feet tall and one foot in diameter so i got you you win inside this tree trunk you could fit like six humans instead of <laughs> <laughs> the roback joke <laughs> love of that uh yeah there's so many and there are a lot of them from the great smoky mountains of tennessee up into the shenandoah valley that are like, there, it's very common to see a 200-year-old tree. Wait, are you about to sing a country song? Because that's what it sounded like. <laughs> Almost heaven, my friend Hamlock. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that was so bad. Sorry, John Denver. Please forgive me. From the Shenandoah Valley. <laughs> Anyways, so there are a lot that are 200 years old, but there are even some that get up to 500 years old. The um, oldest estimated one recording is in recorded, excuse me, is in Pennsylvania, it, and it is 554 years old. Damn, girl! You know she's seen it all, <sighs> including this woolly adelgid. When when you get to like a half millennia old, you, you better be wise than something. Yeah, right? like you, gotta, you better be doing Jeez. some shit. Damn. Yeah, they are very slow growing, but like I said, they do get upwards of 150 feet tall and six feet in diameter. Um, basically, the two hemlocks that are hit are the eastern hemlock, which I'm going to attempt science. Here we go. Suga canadensis and the Carolina hemlock, which is Suga caroliniana. It's a lot of little in that name. Well, twists and turns. Little twisty turny name. <laughs> Carolina <laughs> I love that. I tried. I tried, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's perfect. I loved it. So we're talking about Adelgis Tsuge, the hemlock woolly adelgid. So these fuckers are these aphid-related sap suckers. 
basically they get their gross ass mouths and they jump onto the hemlock tree. They lock their mouths in there and then they slowly suck the sap out for the rest of their lives. They don't move once their head is attached and it's gross. They are native. So wait, does that mean, does that mean that they die when they're not attached? I like if you don't dis- actually if know. You di- if you disengage them, do they die? I have no idea. I didn't look that up. But I just knew that once their heads get in there, they're just in there. But I'm pretty sure it Fair does enough. because I, when researching the treatments, a lot of them are very site-specific because of that. So I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure they fair do. enough. Sorry, just curious. No, you're fine. I should know that answer. Obvious my, obviously, my research wasn't as extensive as I thought it was. But I read like the first three articles on Google. So <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I read more. But... um. It is native to East Asia, but it has no predators in the U.S. So it's just running wild, doing whatever it wants to do, eating whatever it wants to eat, which is only the hemlock tree, but it is eating it very well. And the trees have zero resistance. So they're just like, listen, I'm a snack. You come eat me. (laughs) (laughs) Direct quote from the trees. It was originally introduced in Oregon in the 1920s, but... On the east, where it's really wreaking havoc, it was discovered in a park in Richmond, Virginia in 1951. And it is a slow spreader because it mostly spreads from crawling and from birds. It also spreads on some zip lines. Oh, sad day. Yeah. I love zip lines. But yeah, so it spread slowly. But then the 1980s came around and it hit its first national park. And it spread like insect wildfire from there. It spread so fast, and it killed by the thousands, and now there are 17 states from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee to Maine that are affected by this. So, like, the entire northeastern coast. Yeah. the That's So, it just crazy. recently got to the Smoky Mountains, and a lot of the articles I read, they're, like, freaking out trying to stop this as fast as possible because they've seen what it did to the Blue Ridge Parkway. They've seen what it's done to the Shenandoah Valley, and it's it's scary. Like, it... It spreads so fast, especially in the South. I mean, I, I literally grew up in Western North Carolina. That's that, that was my life growing up. And even from my early years, I remember seeing the woolly adelgid on hemlock trees. And I didn't fluffy know what bits. it was. I just saw the like yeah. little white fuzzy fluffy bits on trees and thought like whatever yeah. that's something like who cares and then like i said i did envirothon and actually learned what it was and then started literally going into what my family called the hauler <laughs> and like cutting off branches of hemlock trees that were infected mm. with the with woolly adelgid and i don't know if that like that at that time i probably mm. thought that i was doing some good realistically yeah. i probably wasn't <laughs> but I do remember, like, wanting to save the hemlock trees from a very young age and not knowing how. Yeah, unfortunately, the isolation doesn't really work for this one. But I will talk about treatments in a minute. But, whew, once it hit the Appalachian Mountains, I saw two different statistics, but either one is absolutely harrowing. One that said 80% and one that said absolutely all of the hemlocks in the Appalachian Mountains are infested within the last five to seven years. 80% 80% to all. Such a sad statistic. Whew. That's a lot. Um, I also read somewhere that it said the changes are more severe and quicker than the American chestnut. What? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, having done so much research on the American chestnut, it is insane to me that something could move as aggressively as the American chestnut blight did. Because literally within 40 years, 40 million years of growth were destroyed. Well, I guess what, the 80s, oh my God, my math is going to be so bad. But it's been, what, 30 years now? 40 years? About the same, yeah. Yeah, I mean, close to the same. Don't ask me about math. I don't do math in my head. Oh my God, how can I I not do that math? That's like the most easy math. Okay, you know what? We're going to go back to talking about science and plants (laughs) and never speak of the M word again. (laughs) Yeah, fuck, fuck oh my math. God. That's terrible. I feel so smart sometimes, and then I feel really, really very not smart other times. <laughs> but anyways, so basically what happens, once this woolly adelgid attaches, it will feed and kill the tree within three years. It is very fast. 
um, they have this waxy coating like we talked about and they just get on there and they suck the sap out and basically the trees lose its needles which fall prematurely because they don't have the sap to keep them you know stuck on there and healthy and happy and fed um, and they go very quickly from this deep green color to this grayish sickly green color it is so sad i've literally watched that happen oh and oftentimes not always like we talked about earlier but oftentimes the defoliation stresses the plant out enough to lead it to death and it can't come back from that so it's very sad i mean i feel like that's probably more true with conifers than with with hardwoods because hardwoods defoliate every year Mm. i'm naked conifers don't do that so i imagine like a full defoliation of a conifer tree has to be more devastating than a full defoliation of a hardwood. Yeah. The IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature, which is kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for? The group that labels what's in danger and such. They actually rate this pretty low in the this is scary scale of things for lack of a better word um they call it a near threatened species um which means they're close to being at high risk of extinction in the near future they're not there yet but it's mostly because it spreads rapidly southward but not northward so the hemlocks in the north are not affected as much so it's very scary in the south but it's only kind of scary in the north. So it kind of evens out. So the woolly adelgid doesn't handle cold temperatures. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like it's feast is down here. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So let's talk about ways that they are working on this. I have such a fun fact, and I've been telling people all week, and no one got excited. So please, even if you don't find it exciting, please get excited for me because I need this. (laughs) The number one cool way for me is soil drenching. Basically, what they do is of one foot around the trunk, they remove the duff, which is basically the like layer of leaves and needles and all kinds of forest floor goo. I don't know why I use that adjective. That's so gross. But forest floor it. goo that they peel away from the tree and then they drench it with this water mixed with this chemical called imidacloprid. So imidacloprid mimics nicotine which nicotine is in most like plants to keep insects away. It's kind of their self-defense, but it mimics nicotine. And fun fact, imidacloprid is the exact same chemical they use in dog flea and tick medication. No, you're literally joking. No, right? That Isn't can't that so be cool? real. Isn't that so what cool? What the fuck do you even mean? Thank what the fuck you. do you mean that they literally use flea medication to get rid right? of polyadelgid? Right. Thank that's you so much. This is the dope. reaction I needed. Everyone was like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, I can't wait to tell Daniel he's going to get no, it. No, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like the same shit that I feed my dog monthly. Yeah. To make sure that she doesn't get fleas and ticks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that the same that's the agreement. same shit. Yeah. That they use to get rid of the woolly adelgid. That's so fucking cool. awesome. Right. Like, so basically, how, yeah. what? How is this all? Like, that's a weird fucking. That's a weird connection, honestly, Dude, for me. Things like, that are I, alive are really weird. We should talk about that someday. I feel like everything alive is just weird. <laughs> we just. We I mean at one point we're gonna have to just have like a weird philosophical episode where it's just yeah. us. We'll have an armchair episode where we're just sitting and carrots. pondering on the weirdness of the universe. <laughs> Maybe we'll both eat some carrots and we'll like... I don't think you can legally say that. We never do drugs that are illegal. <laughs> just disclaimer. I mean, you can edit it out. <laughs> God damn. But uh, no, we can like, we can eat some carrots together and <laughs> see what happens. I'm just going to bleep in carrots every time you say mush. Carrots. Please do because that would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, anyways, so this imidacloprid attacks the central nervous system of these woolly delgid and also fleas and ticks and basically just shuts them down. It just kills them. Uh, so that is a very, very effective method. It's effective up to five years, but unfortunately it's very time consuming, very expensive, and there are a fuck ton of trees that need to be treated. So another way that they do it that's a little faster, I don't know how to pronounce this, foilar, foilar? 
Basically, they get insecticidal soaps and oils that they load up on a truck with a big-ass sprayer, and they just go down the roadside and they spray the trees that are nearest to them. And this is good because it's very fast. You can spray a lot of trees at once, but it's only effective six months to one year because it basically just dries out and kills the adelgid on the outside, so it's only effective for whatever's already there. But if it comes from another place back to the tree, it has to be retreated. Retreated. Pawnee is fun. This also doesn't work if the trees aren't near a road. So. Um, so what they're trying in the Great Smoky Mountains, which I think is pretty cool because the Smoky Mountains are freaking out right now because it's starting to get bad there. And it, yeah. But they've tried releasing beetles, predatory beetles that eat the woolly adelgid. Um, in 2002, they released a whole bunch, but unfortunately with the beetles, it takes a long time to establish colonies. So like by 2011, they had released a half a million beetles, but even still to this day, it's too early to tell really how effective they are. It's more of a slow grow, <laughs> slow grow. God, I can't stop with the puns. <sighs> um this is one of the ones that is actively happening. So I'm going to throw in the show notes some places you can donate if you want to be a part of this. But it is, it, it looks hopeful to me because a lot of people are on this and worried about it. It it does need funding. So I mean, it's kind of, and I mean, don't don't misinterpret. I really would love for the woolly adelgid to be gone completely, obviously, because hemlocks are beautiful trees. But like, where did these beetles come from? Are they going to affect other existing plant life or animal life? What what like what what will their natural effect be when they're introduced into hemlock stands? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be beneficial only because they kill the woolly adelgid Mm -hmm. or are they also going to be okay with the rest of the life that exists around them yeah yeah i don't know how any of that works it seems nerve-wracking to me um and i I, you you can see historical examples of when it's gone really really wrong um but maybe we can get a scientist on sometime to talk to us about about it with us i mean that'd be That'd be so dope. Yeah, I would love that. Be so dope. Super, we'll be super into that. That'd be so dope. Talk to us about plants. Also, so that's all I have. So talk to us about plants. Come email us at propagatedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're also on Instagram at propagatedpodcast and same as Twitter, propagatedpodcast. Um, talk to us about plants. Send us pictures of your plants. Send us plant questions. We fucking love plants. If I can't answer the questions, then Frankie can. And if Frankie can't answer the questions, then I probably can. We'll get you. We'll get you all set up somehow. And if you can't, then you've stumped us, and we'll ask somebody else. So <laughs> we got connections. We will get a good answer for you. Yes. Yes. And give us a five star review if you liked this or give us a whatever star, whatever you think is appropriate, because reviews really help baby podcasts and we love you and we will love you forever. And thank you so much for listening. We are so happy you're here with us and we love doing this and we love that you're listening to us. Dude, I can't wait. Literally, this is only the second episode we've done. Yes. And I think it's fantastic and it's fun and I cannot wait. Yes, we'll try to do something more uplifting next week, I think. Oh, absolutely. The next time we the next time we record, it's going to be something fun instead of something depressing. (laughs) We'll try. We'll try our best. (laughs) We started on kind of a weird note, but we're gonna get past that. Don't hold us to it, but we're gonna try. (laughs) It's gonna be fun. And I'm excited. I'm excited and hopefully you guys are excited too. So Thank you so much for joining us. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Goodbye. Bye, guys.